we would recognize what a privilege this is, what a blessing that we have, because of the country we live in, more blessings than probably anyone else in the world, but because we're part of the heavenly kingdom, we have more blessings than we can imagine. You've given us richly all things to enjoy. You've lavished your grace and mercy on us. Help us to recognize that and have our eyes on you and not on the things around us. Use everything that's done today to glorify your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start off with a great, uh, I like, this is a rolling hymn because it's, uh, when you get to the chorus, you kind of wonderful, the majest grace of Jesus. It's, we roll along as we sing, but it's an amazing thing to think about the grace of Jesus Christ and the fact that it is greater than all our sins. It's not a sin we can commit that the blood of Jesus Christ has not, if we're Christians, already cleansed and paid for. Wonderful grace of Jesus. Wonderful grace of Jesus Grace of Jesus reaches me. 
Wonderful and matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than a mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise His name. Way to roll. Y'all did a great job on that song. I appreciate it. Another great hymn the fact that uh, God our Father would lead us. That's an amazing thought too that I've always, uh, we're supposed to be like little children as far as the Bible is concerned and to our Heavenly Father. And I see a picture of us kind of putting our hand up and letting him take us by the hand and lead us where he wants us to go. That's what he desires of us to be children who follow and want to obey and to let him lead and guide us where he wants us to go. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, wherever I be, still. When by thy 
John 1, 7 and 9 has a great truth for us to understand that we're walking, as we walk our lives, we're walking in fellowship with one another and with Jesus Christ and God the Father. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. That's a fantastic verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all of our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we walk in the as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all of our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in
So as Steve has been sharing from the Gospel of John, and he's been highlighting uh, the Gospel that Jesus brought and the fact that he was such a great uh, evangelizer. He was so good at just starting a conversation that just pulled people in and wanted them to know who he was and what he was talking about. Um, as Christians, we have that opportunity as well, and one of the greatest ways that we can do that is by sharing testimonies. Steve brought that up last week. If you're just sharing with somebody the difference Jesus has made in your life, that's real, and that draws people in because they recognize it's not just a story that you're telling, it's something about you that you're sharing. And uh, this hymn is one that encourages us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, both by the word of, of his, uh, the, the Roman road or whatever uh, way you like to share the gospel, or simply by your testimony of what Jesus has done. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true, it satisfies my as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story to be my hidden glory to tell the old old story of Jesus and His love. I love to tell the story His pleasant to Seems each time I tell it, more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell a story, for some I've never heard. The message of salvation from God's holy word. I love to tell a story. Tell 
before Steve comes up to share the message is um, one of my I want to I keep saying favorites I love all of them but it's so it's such a beautiful hymn for me as Christians <clears throat> we should stay at the foot of the cross a lot to recognize what's been done for us the love and the blood that was shed there that's what this cross is about, this, this song is about, beneath the cross of Jesus, to stay there and recognize the love that was there for us and the work that was done for us, beneath the cross of Jesus. <laughs> Cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. The shadow of mighty rock within a weary land, alone within the wilderness, a rest upon the Jesus, my eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears to wonders I confess. Wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. I take the cross I shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine. Sunshine of his face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame.
reading this morning will be out of Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 20. So that's Colossians 1, uh, 13 to 20. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, just uh, thank you that you uh, reveal to us your son in your word, Lord. And by your spirit, you help us to understand his relationship to you, who he is to us, and just forgiveness through his work. We are so grateful and come today to worship you with that in mind, Lord, and just thankful that you continue to teach us through your word and through each other. And uh, we praise you for that. We ask you um, that today we would uh, walk away um, changed even more to be more like your son. And we might glorify you and give praise to you that's what we desire today, and just help us to do so, because we are weak in our flesh, in our minds, as we try to concentrate and and understand, And but we know uh, that your spirit is there for us, uh, that he will help us. We praise you for it, in Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hope Bible Church this 100th day of the year so far. The Lord has been good to us so far. This is a beautiful day. I know I love this weather. I tell you, this is yesterday, today was absolutely wonderful. Wish I could bottle it, but the Lord knows it was a little warmer. We thank him for these days, the weather he gives us. Last 10 days, um, probably some of the hardest days of my life with respect to this one particular theme. Things that I have heard in the news, read in the internet, about things that they are doing to children and teaching the children just pure, pure evil. It's sickening. I, it just, I, I just, it's so hard to listen to it. And you might have heard some of these same things, but I've heard a number of things. I could give you many stories, and if you want to hear more, I'll tell you what I know in the fellowship hall. 
But it's sad, it shows the evil of our country, where things are going, this downward slide, this downward trend. And, but yet we're Christians, you know, we read in, in Philippians 2 about this, you know, corruption, this godless world we live in, that's the way it is. But I have to tell you one thing, when that happens, it, it, I get motivated. I get motivated to do what I know to do, which is to be right here and teach. I do a blog, get the word out, and talk to people too, one-on-one, discipling things. But I'm motivated. I really am. i got to do what I can do. And for all of you, you should be motivated. Okay, what can I do? And for, for sure, we all can be ones who share the truth. And for sure, we can all be ones who pray. Those are two most important things that we can do as a Christian. And with that, as Steve mentioned, I'm sharing too, we can testify to the truth. Be ones who share our testimony. That's why I'm excited about going through Gospel John. And when I talk about the word gospel, it really, in my mind, means two things. First, the gospel can refer to the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four biographies of Jesus Christ. We read in the Old Testament about Jesus. We read in the epistles about Jesus. We read in the book of Revelation about Jesus. But the single best place to learn about Jesus Christ is in the gospels. The second point is the gospel refers to the message of Christ. And the word gospel, and you know this means good news. It's the good news of Christ. Basically, that he wants to save us from our sin and from death and give us a brand new life. And so we're going through the Gospel of John so we can learn about the Gospel of Jesus. That's the point. That's what we're doing these number of weeks here, many weeks. And the more we go through the Gospel of John, I know as I've been going through these past month, I get so excited. I am learning so, so much more about the Gospel of Jesus. And it's for us. It's what God wants us to know and learn and apply to our lives. We looked at John 3. We looked at John 4 today. We're going to be beginning to look at John 5. Turn in your Bibles, unless you want to listen on, to John chapter 5. I want to read the first 16 verses. John chapter 5, 1 through 16. John 5, verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is, in, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for, the, uh, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, in that condition, he said, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it's a Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse may happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were pers persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath.
This passage then is about how Jesus heals this man who'd been sick for 38 years. A number of things I want to just mention briefly here. First of all, this healing by Jesus is truly a miracle of God because because Jesus totally healed this person. You all understand going to doctors. You've all, I assume, been to a doctor before. Some are good and some aren't so good. But the thing I want to say to you is this. Before you ever go to the doctor, always pray to the chief doctor. Always. I mean, always. Sometimes Jesus will heal you whatever you have. You don't need to go to some other doctor. I'm not saying doctors are bad, but just, that's just, just to mention that. It says in Psalm 103, it says he pardons all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. So even if we are healed, God can use doctors, but really ultimately it's God through Christ that they're the ones healing us. Verse 14 says, Behold, you become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. This next point is this man's sickness resulted from sin. I want to just mention two points here. It could be specifically that is this man's sin actually then resulted, the consequence of his sin is that he was sick, that he got lame. That's the first point. Or the second point is this, and it's a general point, is that really all sickness results from sin. All sickness, that is sin. It's, it's true then that sin is that which leads to sickness, and it's that which leads to, to death. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see there's sin. All of a sudden, the whole world is corrupted because of this sin. And so it corrupts our physical bodies as well. Thirdly, the works that Jesus did was evidence was proof that he was not just a man, but was God in the flesh. Turn to John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. John 20, the last two verses of that chapter, John 20, verse 30, 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We see that connection then between these miracles, these works of God, and people then believing in the Lord Jesus. See, God wanted people to, to see these miracles, and not everybody in Israel saw a miracle, but I can't help but think that everybody heard about them. He wanted people to see and or hear about these miracles so they'd realize that this Jesus was both God and man and therefore then had the ability not just to physically heal but also to spiritually heal to save people from their sins. The fourth thing we see here is that Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. The Jews, the legalistic Jews, that is, did not like that. This is one of the reasons they persecuted him, others as well. But this is a, one we see very, very common in the Gospels, Jesus doing some kind of miraculous work on the Sabbath and the and the Pharisees and others are getting all upset. Let's continue, John 5, 17 to 24. He answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Again, a, a, a number of points here. But what we see here, this passage is, is really about how Jesus is God and is perfectly united with God in carrying out the purposes of God. But let me share some of the main points. First, we see the Father loves the Son. And they had this wonderful, this, this perfect, this glorious relationship with each other, the Father and the Son. And they were always communicating with each other. They were perfectly united together in this relationship, the Father and the Son. Secondly, this relationship that, that the Father had with the Son was a relationship with a purpose. They had a purpose to accomplish the work of saving people from their sins. That was their primary purpose. Three, we see that Jesus and his Father are both working. They're always working. They're working together. They're perfectly united in their working. They are a perfect team. We see that, John 5, 17. And the primary work here, I say their primary work, because they did many things, is stated here. They are to save people, and they're to judge people. They're to save those who believe in Jesus and judge people, judge those who don't believe in Jesus. Pretty simple. We also see as a father is the one who delegated the work of saving, that is, of giving life, delegated that work to Jesus, and delegated the work of judging to Jesus. We see that. The fathers, in fact, what we see there is that Jesus didn't do anything. This is really interesting. Jesus didn't do anything. You think about his life on earth and all the things that he did. He didn't do anything unless he saw the father doing it. That is, unless it was the Father's desire, the Father's plan, unless the Father wanted him to do that. So in all this, we see the Father's leadership, and we see Jesus, his submission, his perfect submission and humility to his Father. What we also see here is is God the Father's ultimate purpose was that his Son would be honored and glorified. And the Father knew that if his Son was glorified and honored, that he would be too. We read that verse in, in, in John 17. It says, The Father, Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So you see this, this, this intricate, this intimate connection. There's no jealousy. There's no competition between the Father and the Son. They both wanted the other one to be glorified. That's what we see and understand. Fifth, let's go back to... Um, John 5, 24, I want to read this again. First, you've heard, I'm sure, many times. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. So first we understand that a person must hear the word of God. He must hear it with his ears and he must hear it with his heart. Both are essential with your ears and with your heart. That is, then they can understand this, this, this word, that is, this gospel message that is being spoken to them. Again, we see the unity, the, the working together of the Father and the Son, and, and what you see from this verse here is that really he who believes in the Son is one who believes in the Father, and who believe, he who believes in the Father is one who believes in the Son. And that message is conveyed so many times in the gospel, particularly of John. There's this, this belief, because you see... You see, they're one. They're working together. They're always united in their working and their purpose and what they're doing. So we see that. Turn to John 3.16. And we'll just read these two verses. 
And, and as you read these verses, think about the work of the Father and you think about the work of the Son. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. And then he gave his Son. And the Son, of course, was willing to come down here to earth. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Again, of course, we know that it was the work of Christ by which people are saved. Go back to John chapter 3, verse, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we see the work of all three. All three here are working in this, this, this area of salvation. They're all perfectly united in this work of saving people. And this is really a profound truth. I've said this before, but you have to understand this. There's no other religion like this where you have the Trinity, where God is a Trinity. It's, it's uniquely to Christianity to what we know, to what the Bible says. There's the, there's the Father, God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit, and they're all perfectly working together. And I would even suggest as you go through life and your relationship, you know, you walk along, you drive along, you're here doing this, whatever, think about your relationship with the Father, think about your relationship with the Son, and think about the relationship with the Holy Spirit, because you have one with all. It's with God, but it's with the members of the Trinity. It's, it's, such, it's such a wonderful truth. That, 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 God, that, that we have this, 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 this working of God in our lives. Next, we understand the person who hears and believes in the Father and in Jesus has eternal life. Eternal life defined in John 17, verse 3, uh, is, is that we know God and we know Jesus Christ. There's other aspects of it, but that's, that's the bottom line. You have this relationship, this eternal and permanent, personal, intimate relationship with both God the Father and God the Son. What we also see there, it says you pass from death to life. Passing, of course, is that which takes place at a certain point in time. And once a person has his life, he always has his life. He never loses his salvation. We've talked about that. We'll talk about that more in, in the future. Next, the person who hears and believes will never be judged for a sin. Never be judged. And that's because Jesus was judged for us. He paid for our own sins. That's what he did. So we don't have to pay for our sins. You think about this. Jesus paid for your sins. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to be judged for sins. He did it for you. This wonderful verse, Isaiah 53, verse um, 5, says, Jesus he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. A great verse, one of the best ones in terms of the work of the Son, in terms of doing the work for us and paying for our sins. We're going to talk more about this Thursday. In fact, Isaiah 53 is our, is our message for our Monday Thursday time this, this, this coming week. Next, number five, the verbs here and believes and has are all what tense. What tense are they? Here, believe, has, present tense. They're all present tense. That means that once we believe, as soon as we believe, we obtain salvation. It's instantaneous. It doesn't say that you hear and believe and will receive eternal life. I mean, there's so many people in the world, and I'm talking about other religions and churches and denominations that, boy, they're just confused. You know, I, I told you, I grew up among like this. Well, I wasn't sure if I was going to save, you know, till you die. I think, well, that's not it. Once you believe, as soon as you believe, you have eternal life. It's so clear from this verse. You, you can sit 
This is all you need is this verse. There's many other verses that say it. You have it. That's it. You're born again at a point in time, just like you're physically born at a point in time, so too spiritually, some point in time, whether you know when that is or not. That is, that is receiving salvation, being born again, becoming a child of God, then is that which takes place sometime during your life here on this earth. That's what, that's what we're saying. Let's continue on in these verses, John 5, 25 to 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. A number of other points we need to mention here. First of all, those who are dead and then hear the voice of Jesus, these are the ones who will live. The word dead, of course, is referring to those who are spiritually dead, do not have the life of God in them. The word live means those who are then spiritually alive, do have the life of God in them. It says then, the hour is coming and now is. Okay, what does that mean? The hour is coming and now is. Now, uh, this, this, these words now is, we, we, we talked about before, now is, and it, it means we're spiritually alive. We're spiritually alive, and it takes place again during our life here on this earth. It's a present tense. Happens now. But the hour is coming, of course, is referring to the future, and that's referring to when we get our new bodies, when we're physically per- perfect. That, of course, takes place at the coming of Christ. So there's two things. Now is when we're justified. Time is coming when we're glorified. Verse 28, look at this phrase here. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. And it goes on to say, some to a resurrection of judgment, some to a resurrection of life. So this this phrase, um, an hour is coming, appears again. And expands on what we just saw in the previous verse. And what it talks about here is this hour is coming when there will be a resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. That's, that's the point he's trying, trying to make here. The resurrection of life, of course, refers to when believers are glorified and get their brand new body. It happens at, at, at when Christ returns. The resurrection of judgment, which happens a thousand years later. The resurrection of life takes place at the end of this age. It takes place at the time of the rapture. That's when we're glorified. But the resurrection of judgment, we go to Revelation chapter 20, the resurrection of judgment happens at the end of the millennial kingdom, okay? The resurrection of judgment, the resurrection of life, you get a brand new glorified body. That's for believers. The resurrection of judgment is for those who are unbelievers. They will also get a resurrected body. We don't talk much about this, but it's true. And let me say, it's a hideous body. It's a gross body. It's an ugly body. And it's perfectly suited for an eternity of pain and punishment. That's the truth. That's the truth. Resurrection of life. God wants to give us life and the resurrection of judgment for those who reject Christ. 
The phrase good deeds in these verses does not mean that we're saved by our good deeds. I believe we all know that, but that we do good deeds because we are saved. We then read also understand there's people who do evil deeds, and these then are the unbelievers who will be judged and punished according to their sin. It says in, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So this strong verse, people don't like this idea of hell. It says it right there. Penalty of eternal destruction, the words of God, and it's stated other places as well. Next, we understand all that the Son has is because the Father gives it to him. That's where it's just it's difficult to understand the Trinity, the Godhead. But here's the Father and the Son. They're all one, but yet there's this distinction. And here it says all that the Father has, he, he gives he, all that the Son has because the Father gives it to him. And the Son then has this life and gives it to those who are spiritually dead. What we also see very clearly here is that, that the, the Son has the right to judge people because the Father has given him this, this right to judge people. So again, what we see so clearly is the unity and the complete working together of the Father and the Son to carry out all their purposes. We'll also see then is all that the Son can do is because of the Father, that one phrase, I can do nothing on my own initiative. That's pretty strong, isn't it? I can do nothing on my own initiative. That is, the Father is the leader and the one who directs Jesus what to do. Jesus is the follower, the one follower, the one who does what the Father wants him to do. We see then that Jesus is completely and perfectly humble towards his Father. Now, Jesus is, is not silent in this relationship. We've talked about how they communicate all the time. But Jesus is seeking the Father's will. And this happened during his life on earth. Father gets up, no, what do you want me to do today? He's, he wants to do what the Father wants him to do, and the Father tells him, and the Son does whatever the Father tells him to do. That's what happened day after day after day for those, those years when he was here on earth. And Jesus then never tells the Father what to do. Okay? But the Father tells Jesus what to do, and Jesus does it. Turn to John chapter 7, verse 16. John seven sixteen. Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Just an example of what we just said. This teaching I have, it's not mine. I'm speaking what the Father has told me. Then we go to John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. A couple more verses on this particular theme. If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, clearly saying here that, hey, the works I do is because these are the Father's works and I'm doing what he wants, wants me to do. So it's very evident there, this, this, again, working together, the Father and the Son. Back to John chapter 5. Let's read verses 31 to 47. 31 to 47. It says, Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus that's John 6, John 5. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. 
You've sent to John, and he, he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you're willing, unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? There's a lot in here. I'm going to finish up on this section here, but then next week I really need to start here at the end of John chapter 5. Again, there's so much here. This whole section is the best section I believe in the Bible about this one subject. It's all about how God is witnessing, is testifying, is declaring the truth about Jesus, his son. John 5.31, Jesus said, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. King James, that's New American. King James says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. The point I want to make here is that these words, bear witness and test to testify, are, are saying the same thing. They mean the same thing. To bear witness or to testify or to give evidence. They all mean the same thing. The person who witnesses or testify, testifies is declaring the truth. The facts about a particular event, a situation, or person. That is what he's doing. He's testifying to something that he himself has seen or heard or knows. And a person who witnesses, who testifies, is not saying something that's, un that's ambiguous, that's unclear, that you can't understand. He's saying it clearly. He's saying it plainly. And that's because he really knows it. He's convinced of this truth. Whatever it is, he believes it. He's given evidence. He's declaring the truth, that then which is true. So we're, we're talking about all these, these witnesses here. In a court case, you know this, you have a witness. He goes up on the stand, and the judge says to him, you swear that the testimony that you are about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. You've heard that phrase many times. And, so the, and, and, and typically, I assume those people in the, uh, in, in the courthouse there, they're, they're saying, yes, I, I, I will testify. They swear to tell the truth, that they're not going to lie, but rather they're going to be a truthful witness. Very important in a court case to have the truth communicated. Not lies, but truth, and the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, I want you to go back to verse 37. You have to see this. That's not it. Where's that verse? Verse which says um, he testifies about himself and it says that his witness alone is not true. Where is that at? Do you guys see that? Oh, verse 31. 
If I alone testify about myself, my, wit my testimony is not true. He says, and this is interesting, we understand this point, that if he testifies about himself, then his witness is not true. Jesus is not saying that he's not telling the truth if he testifies, but that his witness, his testimony, is not sufficient alone to prove the point. Go back to Deuteronomy 19.15. Listen carefully to this verse. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any, any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. That's the point. That's what Jesus was saying in verse 31. He wasn't himself telling the truth, but hey, I'm not sufficient to prove a point, to prove the case, to prove the truth about myself, in fact. That's what he was saying, and that's important that we see that. He knew these verses about witness, knew that his testimony alone, according to the law, was not sufficient evidence. And so what you have here, and this is powerful, you've got to get this. There's five different witnesses given in these verses, 31 to 47. Five. Jesus testifies about himself. John the Baptist there is talking about him. He testifies about Jesus. The Father testifies about Jesus. His works, his miracles testify about who he is. And finally what we see is the words of God. And in this case, particularly the words of the Old Testament. Five things. Jesus, the Father, um, John the Baptist, and the works, and the words. That's it. That's, that's why this is such a powerful section. Understanding the gospel is that you have to have the witnesses who bear to the truth about who Jesus is. And it makes this case so, so clear here. John, God wanted these witnesses to testify to the truth about his son, about Jesus, that he was both God and man, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the one who could save people from their sins. God wanted people to know who Jesus, his son, was and what he was doing. And God wanted people to be convinced about the truth of his son and the truth of the gospel. Both are important. The truth of his son and the message that he was saying, the truth of the gospel. And these witnesses then would help people be convinced of these truths. You see? Again, again, if he was in a court case, you bring all these witnesses in this court case to prove who Jesus is. And he's standing right here. And again, you're not going to ever see it any place so clearly stated as in these verses 31 to 47 of John chapter 5. So it's a major theme in this gospel, and particularly we see it here. It focuses on this subject of witnesses, of ones who are giving a testimony about Jesus. That's what we're seeing. So important. It's important in Jesus' day, and it's important in our day. If you talk to somebody about Jesus, I mean, especially in our modern post Christian culture, post-Judeo-Christian, however you want to say it, post-modern culture. A lot of people don't know much about Jesus. They might have heard about him, but they don't know much about him. And so it's important then for you as a believer, it's your job to tell people about Jesus. And one thing you might want to do then is tell them about these witnesses. We can talk about some verses, but there are all these witnesses. That if you had a court of law, this is historical evidence, John Jesus the Father, historical evidence, the miracles, historical evidence that Jesus indeed was, was more than just a man, but he was God in the flesh. He was the Messiah and the Christ. And so it's your job then to tell people about Jesus and tell them about these witnesses who testified to the truth and who proved them. It's proof. It's evidence in a court case, if you had a court case. But the whole point is with people that they believe in this Jesus is who he is and what he did. But there's one more important witness. 
This was, Steve mentioned this in their singing time. And it's you. All of you who are believers, you have a testimony, right? In the past, we defined testimony. You can say it many ways, but one simple, overall way is it's what's God done in your life. You're testifying. You're telling the truth of what God has done for you. And typically, you, we break the testimony into three parts. What your life was like before you were saved, what your life was like when you got saved, what your life was like after you got saved. The three parts. I, I remember listening to, or maybe I was reading this about Josh McDowell, and he would have his 45-second testimony. He'd have his three-minute testimony, his 10-minute testimony, his hour testimony. Where was that? If you only had a minute, okay, I'm going to share, make it very quick clear. And so the point is this, is that for you and your life, it's important for you to think through this. You've got to get time, think through this, maybe even write some of these thoughts down. What was my life like before I was saved? What kind of things happened? You know, what was it? You know, not that you go into all the maybe sin details, but, you know, what happened? Where was I at? And then how would you get saved? Now, I understand some of you may not know exactly how that happened or when that happened, but, but in general, how did that happen? There are certain truths that you had to believe at some point in time be saved. And so you want to share that. Well, I, I realized that I was sinful. I realized that, that I had sinned against God, that I was unholy. I realized that I should be punished. I mean, just share that. You share a verse or two that comes to your mind. So you talk about what happened that time when you were saved. And it might have been a, a period of time for me it was in the sense that I could tell in the last year or two before I was saved that God was working. There's no doubt. And it's probably true for most of you, too. And then the third point is what happened after I got saved. And, and you share what happened. Well, my life changed. I'm a different person. Everything from being forgiven to being more joyful to being more thankful to being more at peace to, you know, not being so sinful. You know, just lots of things. So, so think through that for yourself. Think through a shorter version. Think through a longer version because there will be people that you meet that aren't saved and God wants you to be ready to share. We understand that from the epistles. I think it's Peter. We should be ready to share the truth with, with people. Now, verses 39 to 47 is, is how God's word testifies about Jesus. It's very, very important. And that's what we're going to talk more about next week. But, but the bottom line is this. you got the Old Testament in particular. And Jesus and the apostles, and you see this, and I'm going to give a couple examples here, of how they would use the Old Testament to, to, to make evidence about who Jesus is. Turn to Acts, excuse me, Luke 24. 24. This is after Jesus had been raised from the dead. He was with the two men on the road to Emmaus. It says there that he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. It says, Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then verse 27, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I would have loved to have been there. <laughs> what did Jesus say? What text did he use in the Old Testament to prove that he was the Messiah? But that's what he did, and that was giving evidence. It was his testimony about, about his own life. Then go to Acts chapter 17. We'll see what Paul did here. Paul, of course, did this all the time, using the Old Testament scriptures in his discussion, particularly with the Jews. John, Acts 17, 1 to 3. 
Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. It was the Old Testament scriptures. Explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Then chapter 24, verses 44 to 45. Twenty-eight, rather, excuse me. Twenty-eight, twenty-three. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Morning until evening. He was going through the scriptures explaining from the law and the prophets and Moses, love Moses and the prophets about who this Jesus is. So it's important, and even an application for your own life is, is think of scriptures that you can relate from the Old Testament that talk about who Jesus is. And of course, Isaiah 53 is one of the best, and we'll talk more about this later in the week. And so Jesus was saying that God's word testified about himself. But what happened? You had these Jewish leaders, okay? And they were so consumed with the actual words, so fixated on the words themselves. That's what was going on. They were thinking that knowing these words made them spiritual, made them godly. And the application is pretty simple. You all know this, that, that sometimes, whether it's yourself or maybe other people you know like this, that, that that person thinks he's so smart because he knows so much. And you'll have people, and they'll come up to you, and they'll just go on and on about what they know. People pride themselves in what they know, and that's what these Pharisees were doing. They knew the Old Testament quite well, and the scribes and others, they knew it quite well, but they were proud. They, they, they didn't see what these words, who they were referring to, that just knowing these words in their head, they, that makes me righteous before God. So they were proud. They thought they knew so much. They pride themselves in their knowledge, and hey, look what I know. But they weren't humble, and they were not looking to Jesus the scribes and the Pharisees knew the Old Testament inside and out, but they didn't know Jesus. And as you know, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. And that verse again in John 17, 3, eternal life is this, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. I want to just close with one other passage, 1 John. It's on the same theme here, this 1 John chapter one, one to three. Just listen is, is, is how John says this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See what they're saying? We're witnesses. We're testifying that this Jesus, he's true. We've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him even. Verse 2, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was manifested to us. But we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We bless you for 
you revealing yourself, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you doing this to us, helping us know who, who we are in our sin and who Jesus you are as being our Savior, being one who is God in the flesh. We thank you for this. We cannot ever, ever claim that, hey, it's because of, of me, what I know, and I know so much that it's, it's because of me that we're saved. It's not because of us. It's all because of you, Lord Jesus, you, God the Father, you, Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for this salvation. I pray as we go through these words here, these verses about who you are, that we understand more who you are, what you've done for us. We understand this whole section about testifying, testimony, and how your word and people, have, the Father and the Son, have testified about Jesus, and you want us to testify as well. So I pray help us to learn and grow as we go through these verses. Thank you so much for them. I just pray for all of us that as we go on through life, I know for me, as I've said in the past, I couldn't make it without the word of God that for all of us here, that we would love your word. We'd read your word. We'd believe it. We would trust it. There'd be verses we hang on to that we memorize, that we meditate. I'd ask that, God, for everyone here and everyone who's listening on, that God, that you, you would do that for us. Just help us as a church to grow and be all that you want Lord, help us to be ones who use our gifts and abilities and talents for your purpose, for your glory. That's what we desire. I ask you to do that. And pray that you would protect us. We read this in John 17. I pray that you, you would sanctify us, as it says there, too. And pray that you'd make us one as a church. One as a church. Ones who are sanctified. Ones who are protected. We need that. We pray for ones who aren't here. Pray for uh, Lord Jean, who is not doing that good. But, Lord, you're keeping her going. And others who couldn't be here with us today. But just thank you, God, again, that you're sovereign, that you are working in our lives and working in lives of ones who aren't here. You're working all over the world, and, and we've talked about this evil, and we do pray for God. You help us to be ones who are light in the dark world. We can be upset about the, about the evil, and sometimes we get so upset, and we talk about it a lot, but we don't think about what we're to do. Be a light. Pray. Share the truth. Love people. That's what we're to do, even those who are our enemies. And we pray, Lord, for those over in Ukraine. I heard that over four million have already left the country. So many are still there. I think most of us have seen the pictures. They're just terrible. 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 What's, What's happened? happened? I mean, I mean it just, it just, it's, it's hard in our day and age here in 2022 to believe that there'd be such evil where an evil ruler would send bombs and just kill people and, and children, Lord, and women. It's just, it's just bad. But God, we know you're sovereign. We pray that you'd use this for your glory, for your purpose, that people would get saved. We ask you for that, Lord. So again, thank you now for this time, this lead, our fellowship time, as we spend time together afterwards. For your glory, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will say this one thing about Jean. I talked to Jean just a little bit um, because she's very, very weak, and she sleeps most of the time, and I talked to both of her daughters, Mary Ellen, and also to Linda. And, and the other day, I think last week, they went to the doctor, and the doctor says, there's really nothing more I can do for you. And you need to you know, get in touch with hospice. Now, what that means in terms of how long she lives, I don't know. Whether she lives another week or another month or six, I don't know. It's just that she's getting very weak. She can barely walk. But God has her still going. So pray for uh, Mary Ellen and Linda, who's particularly the main caregiver, because it's been a, quite an arduous task for Linda. She's really, really done a good job, and I commend her for that through all these months and time. But anyway, just keep praying. Thanks.
activities uh, coming up. We've got Thursday's uh, Monday Thursday service, 6.45 p.m. So if you're able to come out this Thursday, be a special service. Um, then the following Wednesday, we'll resume our Bible study on Wednesday, 6.45. And just wanted to let you know um, that we had a uh, joint time with uh, our elders and Bethel's leaders um, recently. We had a dinner together and just a time of uh, sharing on what's going on in each other's church. And Bethel is the Spanish church that shares the building with us. I just wanted to pass on to you just a few things that uh, I got from the time together that were encouraging. Um, I believe they uh, very much understand God's sovereignty. Um, they understand that uh, times are getting harder for Christians, and uh, they rely heavily on prayer and uh, really believe in preaching the gospel and been, have been active in that and just shared some exciting things going on in their church. Just very encouraging, and I, I share that with you so that you know um, what, uh, what God's doing and can be encouraged and that you can pray for them just as you pray for our church. Uh, that God would use them mightily in the neighborhood to share the gospel, as uh, we are hearing today, um, because they are active in doing such. So pray that God would continue to bless them. Um, as far as sharing the gospel, just a reminder, we do have uh, pamphlets here at church that you can take on the gospel, little gospel tracts to uh, give to loved ones, uh, co-workers, etc. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind you can refer people to our website, to uh, also the blog that Steve puts together, or straight to Sermon Audio to hear our messages on Sunday. So a lot of things, tools you can use to just pass on to family members or neighbors uh, that have the gospel in them. And then lastly, keep in mind that uh, Easter's coming up, and a lot of people are open to coming to church on Easter. So maybe uh, ask a neighbor or coworker to, to come to church. Uh, so keep that in mind too. And now we have our, our last songs. And as a reminder, as far as your offering, you've got the box on the back table as you go out, or you can mail it in or give online. Thank you. Stand with us as we have our uh, final two songs. As Steve has said over and over again, our goal in, as Christians is to get to know Jesus better and better every day. And our attitude should be uh, longing to spend time with him. I have to look at my own life and how much I spend time in his word and um, I have to pray God would you give me a hunger for the word would you give me a desire to want to know to want to see you and that's what this uh, song is about taken from one of David's hymns as the deer pants for the water my soul longs after you <clears throat> Thank you. 
did pour the waters of my soul all it after me. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You're my friend, and you are my brother, even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. You alone strength, my shield, to you testimony song. Steve's telling you testimony. You just sing this song to somebody and it ought to be a good testimony to them. I'm going to glory in my Redeemer whose priceless blood has ransomed me. Just 
Thank you. 